Welcome to the podcast of 10-Minute Theology, an attempt to think carefully and critically about big questions like God, faith, doubt, and the Bible, all in 10 minutes at a time, with me, Joel Wentz. So, the term evangelical is what I'm going to tackle in this next uh, few episodes. I'm not sure exactly how long it'll take, probably at least two. Um, but before I dive too much into all of the controversy and conversations swirling around the term itself, I thought it would be appropriate to start this discussion off on a short autobiographical note, just a little bit about me and why I care about this topic. So, I grew up in a majority Christian environment. And this environment skewed definitely to the conservative end of the spectrum of Christian culture. Some would maybe say, maybe rightly, but some would say that maybe it bordered on the fundamentalist kind of culture. My dad was a pastor of a small church in our rural town, and to be clear, my church growing up was not at all of the fundamentalist stripe. I'm more referring to the kind of ethos of the area that I grew up in when I say that. But um, anyways, my dad was a pastor of a small church, and this town was very small as well, but it had many, many, many churches scattered throughout it. In grade school, I was excused from afternoon classes, I think it was once per week at certain points of the year, for something called Bible release time, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. We were bused to the basement of a local church up the street from the school. This was an optional program, by the way, but many people opted into it. I'm not exactly sure what the teacher did with the kids who were left behind, actually. Uh, But those of us who went to Bible release time were bused to this local church up the street, and we spent the afternoon memorizing Bible verses in small groups and playing things like Bible-themed youth group games. This was during the uh, school day, and I went to a public school. So, uh, furthermore, my, my high school, also a public school, held um, open prayer and worship meetings in the gym, I think, almost every day through my four years of attending there. Uh, and this would happen before classes began at 7.30 in the morning. I also worked at a Christian summer camp in the same town from the age of about 13 until 21. Um, and I went to that summer camp before I worked there um, when I was in grade school. And I was convinced from pretty young ages, as young basically as I can remember, that America was always a, quote, Christian nation, uh, that the only moral political option was to align yourself and vote Republican, straight down the ticket, mostly because of abortion, uh, some other issues too, but that was obviously the big ticket one. And I wondered occasionally out loud if Catholics would, quote, go to heaven. So this is kind of the, the... Area, the the air that I breathe, this is what I grew up in. On a theological level, I wouldn't have been able to articulate much, if any, of this, but on a very kind of deep theological level, I believed in a very historical, literal view of the Bible, of scriptures, that the Bible held the highest authority when compared to any other text that was written, and that it was given to us directly from God. I, you know, would have said it was like a, like a love note written to me from God, for example. Uh, it was kind of the way of thinking. I believed that to be, quote, saved was to, quote, accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That was a very common phrase, accept Jesus into your heart or accept him as personal Lord and Savior. And that this needed to be your own individual decision, especially with the language of the heart. This was very important. That was my, quote, my soteriology, you could say. 
Uh, this looks functionally like praying and sincerely meaning the sinner's prayer. And the most important result of this in my kind of theological system at the time, the most important result of that action was that the one who prayed this sincerely would be guaranteed to go to heaven when they died. That was everything hung on your afterlife destination. And in fact, this was the only way to avoid going to hell for eternity. And it was therefore incumbent on us who knew this to be true, who knew this gospel, to preach it and compel people from all corners of the globe to similarly repent and to similarly accept the Lord Jesus into their hearts. So, in other words, I grew up as an evangelical. But what really is that label, evangelical? What does it actually mean? I kind of just described my background, and that can be squarely labeled evangelical, but there's so much more going on with this term. Um, And so while I just described kind of my lived experience, I really had no idea that that term would have applied to me at the time. I don't think I ever used it growing up, and I didn't, I certainly didn't hear my friends using that word. Um, I, I I just had a sense, there was a sense of invisibility around that word. I had no idea what it was or that I was it even. I just called myself a Christian. I had a sense that there were different denominations. Of course, I knew that. My dad was a pastor. And I knew that uh, many of those denominations fit under the label Protestant. And as I mentioned above, I had some pretty ambiguous concerns that Catholics weren't really Christians, though I couldn't explain why. And as a side note, thankfully, I'm very thankful for this, I became very good friends with multiple devout Catholics when I got into high school, and my relationship with them and their families dispelled that tension pretty quickly for me. But I say all this um, because it wasn't until I started to grasp at a much deeper level the vast diversity of Christian churches and experiences in America that I then began to wonder about my own perspective and experience. Where did it come from? Why did I believe and prioritize certain things above others? Other Christians, for example, seemed less concerned about rigorous Bible study than I did and maybe more concerned about things like intense communal worship experiences. Uh, Some might have valued things like speaking in tongues that I never once experienced or really gave much thought to. Um, And there's a lot of other examples. Those just come to mind. But realizing that my own upbringing and my own formation over time had a clear category and history actually was a relief to me because I could study my people, my kind of my tribe, so to speak. I could study and understand where I came from, um, which is a really uh, profound experience. Um, And uh, the label white American evangelicalism captures really well, I think, captures my experience, my background, my upbringing, and my tradition, and yes, my people. So let me give a sidebar on this, because some will, um, will begrudge my inclusion of the race label there when I say white American evangelical, but I really, really think it's important to name to include that in the label for two reasons. One, the the simple reality, observed reality of my experience growing up is that it was racially homogenous. I simply had a white religious experience. My tradition was very white in terms of our ethnic makeup. That's just the reality. The second reason is there actually are divisions within evangelicalism along racial lines when you study the history of the movement, especially in America. There is a black evangelical tradition, and there is increasingly an immigrant evangelical tradition in our country, especially churches that are like Korean churches, for example. Um, 
And this division, by the way, this is a, along racial lines. I, I do view this as tragic. I think it's a sad thing, but it's also the reality. And so I'm not naming the racial component to stir up angst or confusion on purpose. I'm just trying to be precise in describing carefully what it is I uh, grew up in. So that's, that's why I include the label white. Um, hopefully that makes sense to you. But enough of that sidebar. So like most definitions of people groups and movements and religious movements especially, it's a, it's a messy thing admittedly, but there is something distinct about my tradition that is worth attempting to define, and I'm going to try to unpack a definition in a bit before wrestling with that definition, probably in part two. So first, it's really important to note that American evangelical is a tradition that is within American Protestantism, or in other words, it's not Catholic. It's a subset of Protestantism in America, which means in a way of saying it that all evangelicals are Protestants, but not all Protestants are evangelical. There are mainline liberal Protestant traditions, and I'll say a little bit more on that in the history that I'll touch on later. Um, and these uh, something like maybe an Episcopal church, for example, uh, or certain strands of Presbyterianism, uh, th- they might not qualify as evangelical, even though they are Protestant. So what exactly is it then that defines this subset of evangelicals within the Protestant kind of branch of, of the church? What sets apart evangelicals from the mainline counterparts that are also Protestant? And that question is far from decisively settled, but some very helpful ideas have been put forward. Um, there's a lot of historians who are partial to, to this four-part definition that a guy named David Bebbington described, and I think it's really good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, briefly explain it, very briefly explain it, and kind of land here for now. In academic terms, this is called the Bebbington Quadrilateral, which makes it sound very fancy, but um, it coheres with my experience so well that I want to highlight it here. The four parts that he ascribed, David Bebbington, ascribed to evangelicalism are, one, a high view of the Bible— Two, the centrality of Jesus, particularly the death and resurrection narratives. Three, the importance of personal and individual conversion. That's huge. And four, also the importance of active evangelism. These four ideas, I think, provide a really nice definition of sorts of American evangelicalism, the type especially that I grew up in. There's obviously still room for diversity within these four ideas. For example, there can be very different doctrines of scripture that are all have a high authoritative view of the Bible or different ideas that explain the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, for example, but that they still keep the cross at the center. And so they would still be evangelical. Um, Bebbington would say, if your tradition is Protestant and has all four of these pieces, you probably are evangelical. So, Let's end on this. This is all well and good. My community taught me that the Bible was God's authoritative word, that Jesus was the center of everything we believed, and that I needed and everyone needed to have a personal conversion experience. And they also taught me that it was important to spread the good news and evangelize. I did not know it at the time, but I was growing up and being formed by the evangelical tradition for my whole life. Now, flash forward to 2016, and I watch in deep I and many others, I know I'm not alone in this, watch in deep, deep confusion as political pundits keep saying that evangelicals are flocking to vote for Donald Trump. Trump talks about loving evangelicals, and outspoken leaders are boldly claiming that the evangelical uh, label is uh, stirring up people in that tradition to vote for him. I have non-Christian friends who are asking me what's going on. How can evangelicals be doing this, right? 
um, a lot of confusion from their perspective, and I have no responses for them when this is happening. All I can say is that I have been strongly opposed to his campaign from day one, and that I'm also confused. And then the election happens, and numbers roll out that 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump, propelling him to the presidency. Now, this is undeniably getting into politics, but this is what has presented the confusion for so many of us. My confusion had never been more acute when I saw, than when I saw that number, 81%. And I began to really ask myself, am I an evangelical? More on that in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this brief 10-minute reflection, and I also hope that it provoked some deeper thinking and maybe even stirred up some questions for you. If you're interested in this kind of content, you can check out my website and my blog at joelwentz.com, and you can look me up on various social media uh, outlets. And of course, you can always subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Take care.